Hi, everyone. This is Wendy Kennedy. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Podcast, where we showcase and celebrate entrepreneurial success. People doing innovative and amazing things to ignite entrepreneurs, innovation, and entrepreneurial thinking. everyone, this is Wendy Kennedy. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Podcast. Well, we've got a great one for you today. I'm thrilled to welcome Carl LaPan, President and CEO of the Northeast Indiana Innovation Center, to the Entrepreneurial Table. As the first President and CEO of the NIC, as it's known, Carl has been able to shape the organization with his core values surrounding entrepreneurship helping it grow into one of the top entrepreneurial resource centers in the country. The center is built with advising at its heart. From unique business building resources, such as the Women's Entrepreneurial Opportunity Center, to the Connected Health Lab, and programs that reach deep into the community. The NIC is a hub for experimentation, driven by Carl's leadership and passion for lifelong learning. The great thing about chatting with Carl is you can cover a wide range of topics, and we did. From his thoughts on global entrepreneurship trends, to his latest book, Guardrails, and his perspectives on advising and coaching entrepreneurs, and of course, his deep passion for creating inclusive communities. Sprinkled throughout our conversation are lots of tips, insights, and advice to support and inspire entrepreneurship. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Carl LaPan. Carl, it's great to have you here at the Entrepreneurial Table. Welcome. Thanks, Wendy. I appreciate being here. Well, you know, it's been a while. I've been trying to kind of get into your calendar and I've been thinking about you a lot uh, throughout 2019 since I started the podcast program, saying you were someone I definitely wanted to you know, get a little time with and talk about all things um, entrepreneurial, you know, your thoughts. You're doing a lot of different things, and I'm hoping we get um, enough time that we can kind of, you know, move around and talk about the different corners of your world and the kinds of work that you're doing, because there's a lot of stuff going on in your world, isn't there? Yeah, you know, one of the things, you know, entrepreneurship's a messy business, and I think being an entrepreneurial support organization is equally as messy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. I, I hear that theme from a lot of folks. <laughs> um, so maybe before we jump in and talk about the Northeast Indiana Innovation Center, let's talk and maybe start our conversation about all the other things you're involved with. I mean, um, when I talk to people and your name comes up, they always say, you know, that you're, you know, when they think of you, they think of you as an educator. Um, you know, you're, you're not only are you a great leader and visionary and in, in, you know, what you're doing with uh, your innovation center and things, but they really point to the fact that above and beyond that, both locally and internationally, you're doing a lot of work to really educate people. And you're a speaker, you know, you authored a new book earlier this year that we'll talk about um, titled Guardrails. Uh, You publish a lot of online content. So I really want to tap into, you know, that uh, that well and see uh, what we might be able to pull out and share with folks. I mean, there's many great thought leadership pieces um, that you've been authoring around entrepreneurship and company building. So so maybe let's just uh, start there and uh, see if we can dive a little deep into that. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you've worked with thousands of business builders and innovators and entrepreneurs, you know, nationally and internationally. And so, you know, you're seeing a lot in terms of the entrepreneurial landscape. And so maybe just, you know, I'll ask you a really broad question, you know, given that backdrop, what, what stands out for you? And, you know, when you look out and you see the work that you've been doing, um, on a global scale, you know, what does the future of company building look like? And are there any major shifts? Yeah, you know, great, great question. I think, you know, one of the things is, you know, I would hope entrepreneurship would have gotten easier, but I think it's gotten more difficult. I mean, I think there are lots of great tools and resources out there to to help people move from idea to, um, you know, launching their business. But I think, you know, you, you can't escape the fundamentals. So no matter... Mm-hmm you know, how quickly you want to run from, 
you know, concept to uh, customer. You still have to go through lots of the fundamental uh, discovery process of being an entrepreneur. So I think the first thing is I don't think, despite the fact that we talk a lot about how much easier it is today, I think it's it's difficult and difficult in many different ways. Two is. Um, I don't think there's a, a formulaic answer to uh, business building today. I think everybody would love to say, if I just did this or I just did that, then that would uh, create the, um, you know, the the case for the business. And I think that's not truly uh, the case. I think one of the things that we have to um, focus on is that every entrepreneur is different. And as one of my good uh, colleagues from the University of Central Florida once told me, you know, if you've met one entrepreneur, you've met one entrepreneur. And I think we have to keep that in mind as we work with with entrepreneurs is that each one is a little different. Each one has a different idea. Each one has a different journey and path. And we need to respect that. And, and I think, you know, the third thing is, um, you know, wherever I go in the world, I think there are, there are a lot of common aspects to the entrepreneurial journey. You know, there's the passion, the perseverance, um, the seeing around the corners to identify better ways for, for uh, customers to enjoy their life, for businesses to be more productive. And um, I think with that comes all the challenges that, that entrepreneurs face and uh, all the rejection they might get uh, um, from different sources. And, and, and they all need to be encouraged and uplifted and inspired in different ways. And they all need to be um, coached and mentored and supported in different ways. And I think we need to really respect the fact that that we kind of simplify sometimes what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And and it is a very complicated, messy um, endeavor for people to undertake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, it takes a lot of courage, too. Um, and I think, you know, I, I certainly always remind myself of that is that when you see all these entrepreneurs, you know, the, the decision to step out and get on this journey, you know, it takes a lot of raw courage. So, you know, it's always kind of to, uh, to you know, support them and congratulate them in many ways, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, grit, stick-to-itiveness, you know, tenacity, all of those um, attributes, including you know, courage are, are really important. And we don't often uh, celebrate how how difficult and, and, and how complex uh, and challenging the journey is for entrepreneurs. And we really need to, to celebrate them. But at the same time, we need to you know, make sure that that we are giving them the the very best tools and resources and the very best insights into how to grow their business, and not filling them with too much entrepreneurial mythology that makes it more difficult for them to to see the reality of the path that they're taking and the entrepreneurial journey that they're on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting because, you know. Many, many people that I talk to just in my travels will always say, you know, that the topic of education, you know, uh, call it training, education, helping them be more aware, whatever it might be, um, there always tends to be, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but there tends to be like a reaction like, oh my goodness, more training. And yet it's, it's so um, often overlooked, I think, in terms of just how profound an impact training has, you know, throughout our lives, regardless, not just entrepreneurs, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we all have to be lifelong, uh, learners. Um, we all have to be, uh, in, inspired in that learning journey to connect the dots because, um, you know, so much of the world changes so quickly that our our shelf life of obsolescence is really fast. And if we don't focus on uh, gaining new skills and, and competencies and capabilities, um, it's going to be easy for other people to run past us. And I think especially for entrepreneurial support organizations, you know, what we have to offer you know, is our expertise, our network, um, and, and our proven models of, of moving clients along the continuum and journey of entrepreneurship. And for us to stay relevant, we need to practice what we preach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. Um, let's talk a little bit about your book, Guardrails, uh, that came out earlier this year. And uh, first, let me mention that the proceeds from this book benefit your Connected Communities Initiative, which is focused on inclusive business builders, um, inclusive meaning women and students and people of color, immigrants, and the hardest to employ. 
So, you know, that in itself, I, I'm going to, you know, save our discussion about that aspect of the book from we talk about building community a little later. <laughs> but first, maybe um, with regards to just the book itself, I mean, one of the things when I was lucky enough to get a copy of the book is I just really love the topics of the book. Um, you know, they're, to me, they're, you know, as an entrepreneur, they're very real and they're very relevant, um, you know, leadership and culture, mentorship talent, um, you know, innovation, and, and there's that one failure, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Which the way you talked about failure in this book, I really liked. And, you know, a lot of times people think entrepreneurs are comfortable with failure. And, you know, <laughs> I couldn't be further from the truth, at least in my own experience. And so, you know, there's a lot of good things. And it's, you know, to me, this book is, uh, is a little different, I think, than other books that are out there because it's based on, I think, um, you know, your own experience and the and your own wisdom, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the book really is a, a collection of of my reflections of the things that I think are are kind of tried and true um, principles and practices that would help any organization that's that's working either to become more innovative or more entrepreneurial or more relevant to their customers. And so um, the book was really kind of a, a composite picture of, of the kind of key things that any organization or business has to focus on in order to, to achieve higher levels of success. And um, and obviously, thanks for mentioning the, the proceeds of the book, because, you know, we, we're passionate about leveling the playing field for for diverse entrepreneurs. And 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 this book is part of our commitment to, to reinvest in the programs and services that can make a difference in helping them be more successful and even getting them onto um, the on-ramp for entrepreneurship. And so um, hopefully people will see the book as practical, easy-to-read advice for how to navigate the potholes that, that you're certain to, to have um, during the course of your entrepreneurial or innovation journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, my um, love, and I guess if I chose a, a topic mm-hmm. in the book, um, my favorite was, you know, accessing capital and assessing risk. Um, And I think that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about entrepreneurship, we're talking about accessing capital. So, you know, for me, the reason I chose this as kind of my favorite area isn't because of that. It's not because capital is hard to get. Um, It's it was just really more about the way that you handled it. And so for people who haven't seen the book, I encourage you to kind of get a copy and, and take a look at this, because certainly for me, I put myself through the um, assessment that you had in that area talking about, you know, risk and your understanding of your own risk profile and things. And I thought it was a really, really great way to go about it. So I won't I won't uh, let the cat out of the bag so much, but I want people to just kind of have a look at that because I, I thought it was really, really cool the way that you went about that. And the other thing, you know, I'm a big, you know, I saw Peter Drucker mentioned in your book and I'm a big, huge Peter Drucker fan and I just loved uh all the ways that he was able to capture um, innovation and entrepreneurship and leadership and all these things into, you know, really compelling, you know, one or two sentence statements. Um, And you talk a lot about culture in the book and and his quote, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. You know, I love that. So um, you obviously, you know, love that too. So you want to talk a little bit about that because I think culture is at the heart. And I think for me, and I'll I'll try not to go too long winded here, Carl, but for me, I would say if I look back on 2019, um, I have heard that word culture come up more times than I ever have in my 15 years with WKI. The whole topic of the importance of leadership and and setting the tone for an entrepreneurial culture. So um, I'll stop there and just let you react to that because obviously it's a biggie for you too. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, over the years, uh, a lot of good conversations with people like David Terry and, and West Texas on on Drucker and, and strategy and culture. And, and David's been a, a big influence on my thinking on the whole issue of of culture. But if I if there's one common denominator, you know, if 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 we look at what is that overarching thing that that can either tip the venture, you know, in a forward moment motion or in a backward motion, you know, the culture and leadership. And that's why, 
you know, that particular chapter I labeled culture and leadership. So often we only talk about leadership and separately we talk about culture and the role of the leader. And my goal was really to connect the dots that, you know, leadership, you know, and I think about, you know, some of the people that have influenced me there have, have come from kind of the, the, the Disney organization, right? Leadership mm-hmm. is, is every single individual who influences an outcome in some form or fashion. It's not based on whether you have employees or not. You know, it's based on, on how you use your influencing skills to get results. And I think culture and leadership is probably my favorite part of the book just because um, in order to get results, those two things have to really be joined at the hip. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I agree. And and as I said, I, I think so, I think of so many conversations this year, um, you know, that brought me back to my own grad school days and just the main tenets of, you know, how do you instill the right kind of culture? And I think that I think why maybe I've been exposed to this more this year is just because of different types of organizations trying to implement, you know, quote unquote, entrepreneurial thinking. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's an admirable goal to inject this kind of thinking into your organization, but it's, you know, it's, it doesn't come without its difficulties. And as you said, you know, it's the, the culture that kind of um, permeates that and makes it work throughout the whole organization. So I think... If I could say, I think that my experience this year with this injecting is that I think people are starting to become very, very aware of the fact that, you know, it has to start with the culture um, and that you can't just kind of say this is going to be an initiative we're going to do this year. We're going to have this entrepreneurial, you know, initiative. Um, there's some big, big changes in the way, you know, when you have large organizations in particular and you have you start talking about building an entrepreneurial mindset, right? Yeah, and I think too often there's a lot of window dressing on on innovation and culture. You know, I've gone into some organizations, especially larger ones, where painting walls or, or buying cool furniture, mm-hmm. creating a coffee shop in, in a section of the building, you know, then they stamp the, the, the card saying we're doing innovation. And I think, you know, culture can be, you know, window dressing or or it can be an enabler you know uh, of the kind of outcomes we want to see either entrepreneurial or or from an innovation perspective and i think you know other organizations recognize that that there's this whole human factor side to innovation you know when we look at open innovation concepts and others like that um and we have to really pay attention to what systems uh, we're putting in place to try to get predictable outcomes. Because there's both science and art to innovation. I think sometimes we just think innovation starts where creativity ends off and it's always just serendipitously uh, (laughs) achieved. And that just isn't the case. You know, we can organize collisions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. So, you know, if, if any part of this conversation, for those of you who are listening, if any part of this last, you know, five, seven minutes is intriguing to you, then I encourage you to take a look at the book. Because um, I think what you'll find, at least what I found, and, you know, it's, uh, like I say, it's been extremely helpful to me just, just because it goes beyond the, the, you know, business building basics. And I think it's, it's really great for anyone who's looking for some kind of different way to look at themselves and look at their entrepreneurial journey or even if you're coaching and mentoring just looking at uh, how you approach that with uh, with entrepreneurs so uh, like I say it's we'll talk about the connected communities initiative in just a few minutes but um, yes I know it's not easy to write a book so congratulations thank you you. Um, so let's just shift gears a little and just dive deep then on some you know some of the the work that uh, brought you and I together which is uh, working with entrepreneurs and you know, you've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs throughout your career. Um, I won't say thousands. I don't want you to seem that old. <laughs> so, but, you know, y- you've heard it all. And so I thought we'd have some fun for a few minutes and just talk about some of the myths that we continue to hear from entrepreneurs and, and even some of the new ones. But uh, And I always, you know, like to preface this type of uh, kind of fun conversation with just the 
the point that, you know, we're not poking fun at entrepreneurs. I think the reality is, is that a lot of times entrepreneurs will say things because they really, they really don't know what else to say. Uh, and I believe that comes back to also training and helping them to understand kind of the vocabulary of business and understand the fundamentals uh, that helps them to maybe avoid making statements like some of these. But even after I've said that, we still hear these phrases time and time again. So I'll maybe let you start. I'll say, you know, is there a favorite of yours that, you know, you're kind of hearing, you know, time and time again? Yeah, first, I appreciate your you know, making sure that we keep in context that, that, you know, it really is all about the entrepreneur and it's making sure the entrepreneur gets real information, gets real resources and gets real help and that they don't suffer bad outcomes because they were seduced into some vision of what entrepreneurship might be, but really isn't. So I really appreciate your, your drawing attention to that. I mean, one of my most recent favorites would be investors will pay for perpetual pivots. <laughs> you know, it, it, pivots are about learning. That is absolutely true. But more and more savvy investors don't want you learning on their dime. They want you to have figured out that learning much earlier on in the cycle. And I think part <laughs> of the the euphoria related to some of the the startup movement today is, you know, pivots may be a badge of honor, but but they can also do you in because that's somebody's real money um, that's going down the toilet to pay for your learning. And so I would just be very cautionary to to people about. Um, you know, what you can learn on the investor's dime and, and, and what is responsible and ethical and uh, appropriate, you know, to, to be learning on your own dime as a, a self-funded entity. So that's probably one of my favorite in the last couple of months. That's funny. <laughs> um, you know, when I, you know, when I hear the word pivot, it, uh, uh, I, I kind of have to laugh a little bit just because, you know, when I started in startups, gosh, back in the early 80s, that, you know, if you were, quote unquote, pivoting, we didn't use that word. We just said you had to change your direction. <laughs> that wasn't considered to be a very positive outcome. So I laugh now because now <laughs> that it has this nice word around it, it seems that everybody wants to pivot. <laughs> but back when I started, you know, you'd, you were you weren't looked upon that favorably if you were pivoting a lot. So um, it's interesting how times have changed. Um, you know, one I hear is, you know, this product is a game changer, so raising money won't be an issue. <laughs> Do you want to react? Yeah. yeah, I think, I think, unfortunately, you know, very early on, you know, I mean, there's obviously investors and customers and everybody is going to want to understand the technical feasibility of the idea, the product feasibility of the idea. Um, but out of 100 points, that's maybe worth one mm -hmm. and executions worth 99. So um, the product game changer will get you in the door. Um, but it's probably not going to convert you to an investable entity just on the basis of having a, a game changer. And I think we got to also be careful that, you know, in the innovation world, you know, maybe only about 10 percent of all true innovations are disruptive or game changers. So it's more likely you have some kind of incremental improvement, mm -hmm. even if you see it as disruptive. So I would just say on. On that one, um, you know, there are lots of people with game-changing ideas, changes to their business model, to their product, to their process, to the customer experience, to the brand, and all of those things are, are going to be judged on a variety of factors once you kind of pass the hurdle of product and technology uh, feasibility. Um, so I wouldn't rely on that by itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you had one um, I saw recently in something that I read of yours, which you said there was a, someone made a statement that early on, I need to do everything myself and as cheaply as I can. So what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, my, my general view is that, you know, sustainable ventures are created by de-risking the, the, the major risks that are involved in, in proving out how a particular product or service might be commercialized. So in order to do that, you need to tap into resources that can augment you and or your team to do that as fast, as cheap, 
um, and as responsibly as you can. So if you do everything yourself, time is your enemy. Um, the longer you wait, the more likely somebody else will come up with an idea similar or better. The longer you wait, the more likely it is to cost more and require significant refinements along the way. So sometimes, you know, it's not just about cheap. Um, you know, it's really about what am I doing that advances me towards de-risking my idea or product in a way that improves my ability to execute. Mm. And those that get there faster and smarter, um, you know, are going to have a more likely chance of, of moving forward than those that are moving at a much slower pace. Because too often I see people that aren't willing to share much about their idea because they're afraid you're going to steal it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think you just have to, to temper how much information you might share about your product with the reality that if you're not moving to de-risk that product, it is unlikely that your idea is worth a, a million, million and a half dollars or more just because you made a napkin of it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this whole concept of de-risking, we could do a whole hour just talking about that because, um, you know, when we I think it comes back to that whole discussion we had earlier about helping entrepreneurs to understand what they don't know yet and helping them be aware of, you know, how they're going to get from here to there. And, and, and it's so, you know, helping them to kind of put those pieces together is part of that de-risking. And so I guess what I'm saying is usually they just don't have the knowledge to know. And so they hold on and they think, um, I'm afraid I'm going to hold on and I'm going to keep it close to the vest when in fact it's the opposite that needs to happen. Right. And I think getting to them early and helping them understand what it takes to move from, you know, the starting gate out, you know, that first hundred yards is, is part of this in terms of helping to learn what it means to de-risk and de-risk the whole thing from business to idea to, to even all the execution elements. And, you know, you have an expression in your book and I, I wrote it down, um, in preparation for our conversation because I loved it, which it said done is better than perfect. And I think that's a little bit of, you know, applies here when we start talking about this statement, right? Is, um, you know, I really like that phrase about, you know, maybe I won't, I'll let you just kind of, exp, you know, expand on it as well is, you know, that phrase to me just really speaks volumes. Yeah, this is a, a tough one for, for perfectionists. And, and, and the insight comes from, from Jeff Bezos and Jeff Bezos said, you know, launch when 70% done. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so in order to go out and, and get immediate feedback from, you know, your channel or your customer, um, that you really need to, to, to launch at a point where you can be open to that learning. And so the goal is not to get to 99 or a hundred percent done, but to get something out there when you're as, as, as little as 70% complete with the idea so that you can get that feedback and that customer discovery and validation. If you're getting consumer based feedback or, or B2B feedback. Um, but the whole notion that I like about what Bezos said is is that you have to have the freedom to innovate and that freedom to innovate and to iterate and to improve is only going to come by launching things when they're not yet complete. And if we wait for them to get complete, we might have missed the opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's really good advice for all of us who tend to maybe have perfectionist tendencies. Um, you know, and obviously, if we're talking about a medical device, we're not we're not asking people <laughs> to launch something that might kill people. You know, so obviously, the advice needs to be in the context of the the product or service we might be talking about. Yeah, and and you know, there's usually someone that will say that, right? Oh, well, it doesn't apply here, but I think it applies in more places than we realize and so yes of course in a med device or a therapeutic a diagnostic yes true but there's a lot of other healthcare related ideas where you could still practice this kind of a, a philosophy for sure so yeah um, I think the biggest thing is just the freedom that Jeff gives his organizations to innovate mm -hmm. and, and that's what comes from the 70 percent you know it's like when I started this job nearly 20 years ago, I asked the board out of every 10 things I try, how many do I have to get right to be judged successful, right? That sets <laughs> the, 
that sets the table for how much experimentation, you know, how much innovation can I, you know, work on in order to get the kind of outcomes that are expected of me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's also, you know, that's a great uh, jumping off point for us to talk about uh, the NIC. Um, you know, everybody calls it the NIC, but the Northeast Indiana Innovation Center and and, and the work that you are doing. And I think that, um, you know, for people like yourself, you know, leaders like yourself, that whole opportunity to have an impact on the organization and on the, the community uh, that where the organization resides is a huge factor in, in your satisfaction, right? And so... Um, let's just shift gears a little bit and talk about the NIC and the role of incubators and accelerators, et cetera, because there's been a lot of change happening in this space in the last five, seven years. Um, you know, a lot of new entrants in the entrepreneur development space with a lot of different models, you know, Y Combinator and Techstars and Startup Weekends and ha- like, there's all kinds, I mean, hackathons. Um, and so maybe just before we talk about Nick in particular, let's talk about some of these and, you know, is there a role for all of these and what's happening? There's just so many. And I think in many cases, there's many that are, um, you know, uh, it's not clear, at least to me, the gap in the market that they're filling. So I'd just like to have someone like yourself with your expertise, just, you know, make sense of this for me. Like there's just such a landscape out there now. How do you per- uh, participate in a market space like this? Yeah, it's a that's a very complicated question. I think about it, you know, probably multiple times every day and certainly think about it in in our strategic thinking, um, you know, of the services that we offer and the value we create. I think, you know, the the marketplace will always you know, kind of favor new entrants because the barriers to entry are so low in our industry, Mm -hmm. right? So unlike a capital intensive biopharmaceutical manufacturing, if I wanted to become a lily tomorrow, it would probably take me some money um, and a lot of time and a lot of regulatory hurdles. But to be an entrepreneurial support organization, there are virtually no barriers to entry. And you've seen kind of this um, multi-tentacled uh, ecosystem of for-profit entities and not-for-profit entities. And I think there's a lot of experimentation going on uh, in the industry. You could have easily added, you know, co-working, makerspace, mm. corporate labs, um, you know, lots of things um, that are out there. You know, Stanford just launched, launched a virtual um, you know, coaching program to help entrepreneurs through through the startup maze. And I think as long as there are entrepreneurs always wanting more uh, and needing more, and the difficulty of entrepreneurial support organizations to be great at everything, there will always be kind of these splinter, you know, organizations. I've become less concerned about differences between what is an accelerator and what is an incubator, what is co-working, and more concerned with what does the entrepreneurial venture need to grow um, and being able to provide the services ourselves or by referring to somebody else to services that can help the entrepreneur grow. And I think if we keep the entrepreneur at the at the at the head of the decision making, you know, the key is we've got to figure out what do they really need to grow. And each of these different models has very different views, right? Why Combinator and Techstars really were about how to do angel investing better. They weren't really originally set up to be entrepreneurial support organizations as much as they were entities in 2005 that were established to um, do angel investing better and more efficiently than the ways that had been done before that. You know, hackathons, startup weekends, I mean, there are very little studies that show whether or not it's had any impact on startup formation. And the one study I did see, um, you know, it it was probably less than 1% of ventures that went through those types of programs actually ever started their company. But that's not to say that that's still not an important catalyst for getting people to think about their entrepreneurial drive and their own personal journey. But I do think, you know, we are we are definitely challenged because I think it's more difficult for the entrepreneur to figure out what they need and who's best able to provide what they need. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, when I look at uh, 
when I look at the NIC and I look at organizations um, like you, um, but probably, you know, in terms of the NIC in particular, I would say, you know, there's a very distinct philosophy, uh, excuse me, philosophy around inclusiveness and community at the NIC. And I think that really, um, you know, stands out um, as making you somewhat unique um, when you, we talk about all these other models and, and approaches and things. So, um, and your whole, you know, connected communities initiative. So, you know, let's just um, just spend a few minutes and just talk about this this philosophy in particular and about the inclusiveness because I think that's um, a great a, uh, strategy or just a great initiative. I think that people, um, other people who are in a leadership role like yourself, can benefit from. Yeah, and it's 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 my belief, especially for Indiana, if not the country as a whole. But I can I can speak more definitively for Indiana. You know, we rank 47th in, in new venture formation, you know, according to the Kaufman statistics. It's my belief that it's not an access to capital problem. It's a it's the talent problem, not all talent in our state. And I would also say probably in the country, because the startup rates for the U.S. as a whole have been declining for 50 years. Um is because we do not have a level playing field and we do not have all of our talent at the table having the advantages that support systems like what we can offer at the NIC there to help them along their their journey. And so we have, uh, because Indiana has been at the bottom for a while, um, and because as we look at what drives entrepreneurship, um, you know, what, what we have recognized and started on five years ago was to begin to build the infrastructure for inclusivity and, and diverse entrepreneurship that is being talked about a lot today. Um, but we actually started on that path five years ago because we recognized um, many segments of our, uh, of our community um, had disproportionate access or lack of access to the resources to help them. Um, and so it is a, a commitment, um, you know, such that our organization has been a primary funder, you know, at least 50% of the funding that, that has been committed to inclusivity and uh, diverse entrepreneurship. We have funded that ourselves and then 50 percent from from government foundation and other people. So um, so we've not only put our money where our mouth is, but, uh, you know, we, we have tried to make sure that in all of our programs, um, you know, that we do our very best to level that playing field. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you've got quite a number of programs underway um, that, you know, have the opportunity to draw in quite a diverse array of uh, uh, you know, first-time entrepreneurs, interested entrepreneurs, and and people from um, across the community. So, um, particularly, you know, the WEOC program, your Women's um, Economic Opportunity Program. Um, you know, I, that's one that stands out for me because I've just been watching it and watching it grow and blossom. So um, you start to put the right people together around the table, meaning the right types of audiences, and they support each other and lift each other up, right? Yeah, I mean, think about, you know, words that, that women founders use to describe their entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, when you start to think about, you know, afraid and isolated, unsure, you know, um, you know, they're not typical words we see with the very hyping of of entrepreneurship but they're the very real words of of our women business builders you know that that part of the journey isn't just you know the the product or service and the venture you know it's the maturation and confidence and support system um of the women who are on that journey and i think we take that for granted um, that every entrepreneur has this tenaciousness and has this intensity and drive, but, but, you know, not all entrepreneurs are created equal and, and some need more inspiration capital, um, to help get on that, that, um, pathway, mm -hmm. uh, to 
entrepreneurship. And I think that's what we've tried to do with our our women's program is to really um, also deal with the issues that don't typically get addressed in entrepreneurship, things like self-care and mental illness. Um, you know, we, we address that in our program. We address confidence and imposter syndrome. Um, you know, we address, you know, role models and mentors because those are all things we might take for granted. Um, but for inclusive and diverse entrepreneurs, um, they may not have seen some of those things in their lifetime, uh, and they need to be lifted up and, and inspired to, um, to, to walk along that entrepreneurial journey. And I think that's what we've tried to do with our WEOC program. It really fits to our, you know, the tagline for the Nick dream big, get real, right? We do not want to do anything to crush anyone's dream. What we do want to do is add the sensibility, uh, and the reality to help you do that in the most beneficial way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, uh, what is really exciting about our, our women's program and some of our other inclusive entrepreneurship programs. Mm-hmm. Now you have a connected health lab as well. Now that's a recent one, is it not? Yeah, it is. It's an EDA I-6 grant, which is really focused on kind of um, cluster-based economic development. So the, the idea and concept is to, to leverage a regional strength um, to, to create higher pockets of, of innovation and entrepreneurship. And so the Connected Lab is focused on really Internet of Things, so anything connected to the Internet um, in the healthcare area that tries to impact kind of the triple aim of healthcare, right? Cost, quality, and patient experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just to summarize then, just in this particular pocket, if we are talking about community building, um, you know, if I were to give you, you know, a a magic wand and let you have, you know, anything else uh, at the neck that you could have to really help with the inclusiveness and, uh, building community and pulling together the region. What what might you look for? Yeah, we. Uh, I think the things that would be I- extremely beneficial to helping us do that. Larger companies that collaborate with smaller companies. You know, one of the challenges I spoke about earlier is just um, open innovation and open innovation is probably a little more challenging in Northeast Indiana than perhaps some other parts of the country, because, you know, our family owned and operated businesses oftentimes have been built around singular product lines or a singular group, a singular customer group. Um, and so we have to kind of create that culture and ethos of, of bi-directional collaboration between uh, small and emerging companies and larger companies. So um, having some kind of uh, larger magnet employer or employers on our campus that would commit to a certain level of innovation and startup activity would be a tremendous asset that we could offer to to companies that locate here. And I think that that would help us uh, immensely. Uh, secondly is more of the uh, live work resources right so that mm. people could live closer to where they work and play um, having the uh, ability to you know someday I'd love to see some townhouses where the first level of the townhouse is your business the second level is your living on our campus that would really promote kind of that uh, community hub of knowledge uh, and innovation, you know, creating those communities of innovation that AURP and others talk about, you know, through the live, work, play aspect, that would be a tremendous asset here. Uh, And then I think, um, you know, we have to do more to create future generations of pipeline of talent for entrepreneurial companies. And, you know, with the economy being so good, um, and millennials not starting companies at the rate of, of maybe some of the other uh, demographic companies. We've got we got to build the talent pipeline because entrepreneurial companies are suffering with their inability to to recruit talent for their companies uh, in this kind of you know especially good economic condition we live in today. Mm-hmm. 
you'll uh, you're putting in a plug for my next guest on our podcast program, which is talking about um, in northern Pennsylvania. Lisa Evans is going to talk about uh, how she's inspiring um, youth and startup activity in youth. Uh, and has a, has a great story to tell. So uh, you'll have to listen to that one coming up uh, in the next few weeks. <laughs> yeah, we have, to, we have to build the hometown team. We've got to create the pipeline, and it does start with youth. And, and some, some of the, the you know, educational futurists and some of the career people say you know, that decision is heavily influenced and in some cases made by the sixth grade. So we mm-hmm. can't underestimate um, what an interventional challenge it is for us to try to make sure that entrepreneurship is front and center for young people as a viable career choice. Because mm-hmm. I don't think today we sell it as a viable career choice. It's a default if nothing else works out. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I think back to many years ago whenever um, – Purdue and and I were putting together a program for high school students and the phrase that came back from the discussions that uh, we had with the parents were you know trying to change is that we were trying to change the dinner table conversation right and help the parents realize that this was a viable career option so you're right there's a lot of work to be done um, in the in the community to elevate this discussion about entrepreneurship as being uh, worthwhile and viable for uh, for kids. So, mm-hmm. so, okay. So, as we round the turn, as I always like to say for home. Um, so, if you know, I always like to ask a few again little fun things to kind of close out our conversation. So, if you could um, have a billboard with any message on it. Um, you know, in probably one of the busiest areas in the U.S. or even in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, what would it say? Well, I do think our tagline gets it, dream big, get real. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, And I like that because there's just that reality, right? And I I am passionate about that too, is the the founder gets to choose the dream. We're there to help them you know, with the reality and, and also just to, to be real in terms of realizing it. So, um, if yeah, I- always remember that. Cause I think that, that that's a point, Wendy, that, that is often missed by parts of the entrepreneurial support organizations. Our goal should be to help make sure the founder gets to a better place or where they're trying to go is not our right to take away their dream. It is our responsibility to help them understand how best to realize that dream. But too often today, you know, you've got investors who say, if you were to pivot this way with your idea, we give you money, but if you stay on the path you're on, we won't, right? I think it's just really important that the one thing I love about the Nick and has been true for for the, 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 the 20 or so years we've been at this is that we are on the side of the founder. Mm-hmm. Our job is to help them get to the next step. And if it's not with us, get them to the place that is best for the next step. And our job is to leave them better than we found them. Mm-hmm. That may not be that that dream can be realized in the form in which they would like to, but our goal should be to help them take a next step, and our goal should be to help make sure um, that we're helping them realize their potential. Yeah, and I always say they're driving, and we're sitting in the passenger seat reading the map. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if I was to go into your office today, what two books uh, would you be telling me to read? Besides yours, of course. <laughs> well, uh, the one I just ordered is The Entrepreneurial Leap, um, ah. which... Uh, it just came out, uh, so I think that one would be uh, a really good one. And then uh, the other one I'm reading is uh, Adam Grant's book on givers and takers. Okay. So I think it would be two, you know, really good, very different uh, books to okay. read. Okay, folks, The Entrepreneurial Leap and Givers and Takers. So away you go. <laughs> and what is one fun fact that most people don't know about you? Um, hmm. <laughs> um, well, I probably read 50 to 70 publications a month and four to six books. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. I, 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 I'm barely scratching the surface. I wish I had more time 
to read more um, and, and to listen more. I do try to um, take learning journeys and go off and, and just understand how people are connecting dots to, to see if we could connect ours differently. I think that's really important is to get outside your ecosystem and, and try to understand how other people are approaching challenges and, and opportunities. And does that help you create new ways of adding value in, in your community? I think that's really helpful too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I know just from knowing you, um, that you're um, super committed to that. And I think you're right. I think the perspectives that you get, um, even if they're things that you don't see right away that you're going to implement, the perspective is, uh, is invaluable. So, um, okay. Well, I think this brings us to the end of our conversation. Um, so much to think about here. We covered a lot of ground in 45 minutes in terms of uh, some thought leadership and community building and uh, looking at the NIC and, and things like that. So, um, Carla, I want to thank you very, very much for sharing your time and your entrepreneurial wisdom and uh, look forward to, uh, to touching in again real soon to see what's new at the NIC. Wendy, thanks. Really appreciate it. Uh, you're a great resource for our community and really glad you're on our team. Well, um, if people want to connect in with you, I know you're on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Is that the best way for people to connect with you? It is. It's the it's the only social media platform I personally now. The Nick has uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of that. But to connect with me, uh, reach out via the LinkedIn is is absolutely the best. And people, I can tell you, he is very very active on LinkedIn and will respond almost immediately. So he's not kidding when he says that that's his platform of choice. So, okay, Carl, thank you again. Really really appreciate it, um, and look forward to all good things happening at the NIC in, uh, in 2020. Wasn't that a wide-reaching conversation with Carl LePan? Carl never disappoints. He has a wealth of knowledge in so many areas, a true thought leader in the world of entrepreneurial thinking and doing. And it's great to hear how places like the NIC are making a difference not only regionally, but nationally. It inspires us all to look across nationally and look for opportunities where we can really help communities to thrive and grow. Thanks for joining us and I hope you'll subscribe to future podcasts on my blog at wendykennedy.com. Until next time, enjoy your entrepreneurial journey.